All right, there you go. Good to see you all. Welcome. If you're a guest, as Pastor Tim said, we're glad you're here. If you're watching online, please check in. Let us know you're there. If you're in the room afterwards, we have a gift for you in the back. We'd love to have to share with you. We don't want Jesus to be mad at us, so we don't sell things here. Um, kids' video, but uh, hey, today we have coffee is returned after like I know. And uh, as you all know, the masks may be going away. So some of you are like, masks, what masks? Whatever. Okay. The rest of you that have been trying to hold to the rule, yeah, that may be going away real soon. Like as of, we'll see. I'm thinking real quick. Um, but there's, there's coffee afterwards for you. Thank you, those of you that prepared that for us. And also, um, yeah, there's still a t-shirt. If you didn't get a free t-shirt, it's right here. Help yourself. There's plenty. Good to see several of you sporting the look today. Some of you guys make that t-shirt look really good. Um, Yeah, there you go. Good job, everyone. Well, we are here. We are in Nehemiah. Last week, if you were with us, it was one of those messages where I'm going and going and just so enthused, and all of a sudden it's like, wait, we're at verse 2. So we're going to do chapter 8 today instead of last week. We're going to get through it. But in Nehemiah 8, this is kind of cool, we have Ezra introduced again. Remember Ezra wrote the book of Ezra? Some people think he may have written Nehemiah from Nehemiah's testimony, as well as 2 Chronicles. Those three books all tie together at the end of the Old Testament era. What that means is, if you guys are familiar, there's these 400 years that are kind of quiet in the Bible between the Malachi and Matthew. Um, and so those, those silent years, what's happening with Nehemiah is right then. Like it's happening right before that takes place. So the next thing on the scene after we get through Nehemiah is Jesus. And they don't know it. They don't know how close it is. So it's kind of cool. So Ezra, who has written much of this, now has re-entered the scene in Nehemiah 8. He is reading the law. And when we say law, what do we mean, everybody? The Bible, God's word. Uh, So this is cool because they've rebuilt the wall. We finished that in 52 days. We saw that a couple weeks ago. And now they're gathered, and the first thing they do is go get Ezra, and he's got the scrolls. And he's going to come and read it. Okay, remind me from last week, everybody, what happened when Ezra read the law? They stood up. For how long? The whole time. I heard three hours and six hours, yeah. Optimistic thinking there. Yeah, so they stood up for like a you know, good chunk of the day while he read. So we kind of ended our time last week doing partly that. What that taught us was their hunger. Just think of the privilege it was to hear God's word. And we don't say this to shame you and me because we all have this and probably multiple copies of this as well as bazillion copies of this. It's not to shame you to think, yeah, we got God's word, and I try to read it. That's not the purpose in bringing that up. The purpose in bringing it up is to remind us of the sacredness it is that we, mere humans, God created all of us, we're made in his image, but there's a bunch of us in this room, there's seven billion plus on the planet, each one of us have access to the revelation, to God saying, hey, look, this is me. He's given us his word. They didn't have that. They didn't have a copy. They seldom heard it. It wasn't easy to understand or to get to. 
uh, for much of our uh, church history and even Israel's history. The Bible was completed um, in that first century A.D. So about 100 A.D., we have the last of the New Testament being written. Prior to that, they weren't like doing what we do. Hey, where should I read today? What do I feel like reading? Do I want this? Do I want that? They didn't have that. So for them to be in a place where someone said, hey, now we're going to hear from God, and Ezra shows up, they couldn't help out of reverence but to stand and to humble themselves and say this is an honor, and they got to listen to it. Not to shame us, hopefully to encourage us. What we have is pretty spectacular. We have, we have access to God's word. And at our church, we like to say, as I titled last week's message, we're word-driven. What that means is we make a big deal of the Bible. And as I've said several times, we don't put the Bible on a pedestal and worship the Bible. Are you guys good with that? We don't worship the Bible. This is God's word for us to worship him. This is his way of saying, hey, look, this is me. Because of that, we value what he has said. Grace Church is committed to the word of God and the work of God. Say that with me out loud, everybody together. Grace Church is... And so when Ezra stands up, they've been doing work. These people are... they're. Uh, <laughs> All in, right? They're committed to this. And so they built the wall and they're, and they're back home in, 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 in Jerusalem. So there's heavy commitment. And then they hear from God's word and they stand and they listen to it. And so that's where we dealt with last week. Our church also, and many churches like ours, we're not unique in this, but we're committed to it. We're committed to God's word and the work. What God has told us and what God gives us to do. How do I get to be a part of this amazing thing that God is doing? We learned from the scriptures about his word. We learned the relevancy of it. We learned the sacredness of it. We learned that it's from him. Um, the word comes first in, 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 our, in our teaching. We start with God's word. We don't start with my ideas of some topic and then, by the way, let's just keep talking about that and eventually bring out a verse. At our church, we choose to say, let's open our Bibles, start with that, and then talk about what that means to us, what God has, has for us, how that encourages us to get through the hard things as well as the amazing things and the challenging things. The word comes first. God's word, this Bible that you have, is his choice of revealing himself. The word revelation means that he's revealing, he's showing us. In theology, if you remember this, we've talked some about it, you have what's called general revelation or revealing, and then also special revealing or revelation. General revelation is broad. It's, it's creation. It's looking around and saying, there's got to be a creator. Uh, general revelation is found in each other. When I see you, I see someone that God made in his image, right? Do you realize that? The people you know, everybody you know, was made in God's image. The people you know that don't even know God or like God or ever want to go to church, they were made in God's image. Did you realize that? So that general revelation is that which God has shown us that points to there's a God, uh, Psalm 19, we're not going to go through it, but the first six verses of Psalm 19 talk about that. Special revelation, Psalm 19, verse 7 to 11. Special revelation is when God specifically says, hear, 
right? So general revelation, you know, you go to nature. We, we love our nature in northern Arizona. Uh, the Grand Canyon, the changing leaves, the snow, all these things that say, wow, this is so beautiful. That points to a good God. Special revelation is when God specifically says, here's something very specifically for you. I don't want you to miss this. And the two things of special revelation are the Word of God and the Son of God. Jesus Christ himself, manifestation. This is God himself with us. Jesus comes so that we can know the Father. Jesus doesn't come say, he doesn't just come say, hey, look at me and ignore the Father. He comes because the Father sent him. The word of God and the Son of God are special revelations. So when Ezra stands to read the law, what did we say, 2,400 years ago, God was revealing himself to his people. Isn't that amazing? Like that long ago, this was happening, even before they knew the name Jesus or before Jesus would show up. The word comes first. In John 14, 6, he reveals himself when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You remember that. Jesus answers his disciples when they say, Lord, show us this. You say you're from the Father. You're the way. Show us what this means, Philip says in verse 8. Uh, But then in verse 9, Jesus said, Have I been so long with you and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Special revelation. God shows us himself through Jesus. Does that make sense, everybody? Say yes. All right, thanks. We'll keep moving. Then Jesus says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does this, does his works. So it's like he's making it very clear. So we have the word of God, which, by the way, is what John is writing for us. We have God's word that reveals God, and we have God's son, Jesus, who reveals this. But don't miss in verse 11 of John 14. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. Did you catch that? So I've come to you. Special revelation. The Father sent me, Jesus, flesh and blood in front of you. Believe that. Or at least look to the works that I've done. The the outgoing, the, the fruit, the results. Don't miss that. He says, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Did you guys catch that? Is it on the screen there? Whoever believes in me, say these next words with me, will also do the works that I do. Keep going. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. I love that passage. We've talked about it before. What does it mean when Jesus says, I've done some pretty good works, right? The works that Jesus did, um, obviously it goes to the cross and the resurrection, but up to that point, teaching, healing, uh, raising dead to life. And then he says to us, to them, which carries over to us, and greater works than these will you do. So what does that mean? Does that mean we can like raise everybody from the dead? We can raise all kinds of things from the dead. We can do all kinds of cool miracles. I don't think that's what he means. I think the word greater means amount. Jesus was one, you know, Jesus himself right here touching these lives. And then he empowers the 12, who then empowers the 72. And then you have the day of Pentecost when the Spirit comes. I'll slow down here. And then all of a sudden you and I are sitting in these chairs. And God says to Adam, greater works am I going to do because you're mine. And he says to Dustin, greater works will be happening because you're mine. Right? 
So now we get to be a part of that. Now somehow we're connected. The special revelation of Jesus himself coming from the Father, and he says, believe the works that happen. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's not a free pass to be like a miracle worker and fix all the problems in the world. Don't misunderstand that. The works are what he's asking us to do. Do the thing that he's put in front of you. The responsibility, the opportunities, the, the challenges, the, 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 the roles you get to play. Dads, the things you ask of the Father, he's going to give you. Moms, the things you ask of the Father, he's going to give you. Let me do this job for you, Lord. Help me to serve you with this way. So we see the word of God and the works of God. The work of God is, is a result of the word of God. So because God has given us something to go by, I can now know him because he's given me his word. I can now know him because Jesus, I've seen him, I've heard him, I've, I've believed in him, my life has changed. Because of what he's given me, revelation, I can now produce, I can now engage, I can now have purpose and meaning in what I get to do. As Tim said, we're going to be talking about our all-in thing in just a few moments, just to remind us and just kind of give us a shot in the arm that as a church, we've made commitments. Lord, thank you for Sanawa, but thank you even more so for where you're leading us. Even our financial commitments, the decisions you make, these are works of God. This is me saying, God, you're doing a big thing all over the world. People are coming to Christ all over the world. I get to be a part of that in my part of the world. My local church, my group, as I give my offerings, as I commit to helping our church do this building, I get to be a part of these works. So what does God ask of me? What he asks of me is because uh, he, he, he asks things of me because he's in me. He's with me. I'm his. He doesn't ask things of me so that I can turn and, and impress him. He doesn't say, hey, I want you guys all to do a bunch of works for me so that I can sit up here and smile at you and say, finally, you're, you're engaged. Finally, you're proving yourself. He doesn't do that. He asks us to be a part of what he's doing because he's glorified in that. Because all of his works point to him. His works don't point to me being better, me being fixed, me being healed, the world having peace everywhere, the world never having war, the world never having disease. That's not the end result. The end result is always glorifying him in the midst of, listen, in the midst of war, pain, sickness, disease. In the midst of mess, we glorify him. So his works please him and he invites us to be a part of that. Because of his love for us, he is with us. God's work starts within me. It's a very personal thing. As you are seated here right now, we're watching online, as the Lord is ministering to your heart, that's his work. That's his work. He's working in you. He's teaching you. He's showing you. God's work then leads me to help others. Every time I'm affected by the goodness of God, I've got to let it go. I've got to affect other people. It doesn't just stop with me. Oh, I feel better about myself or something makes sense. Whatever God is showing me and teaching me, he then lets me help others. That's where we get in our church, the great commission, great commandment. We talk about loving other people because of what he's done for us. There was a quote last week. I don't know if I got to it uh, or not. The enemy is only disheartened when God does the work. If it's the product of man's efforts, they just laugh. 
So when we say we're serving God and we're working for him, it's not in our own efforts with our own strength to please ourselves or to give us a name. The the world laughs at that. The enemy mocks that. But when we step back and say, God, would you do your best work? God, would you do that thing in my friend's life? Would Would you do what only you can do in this marriage or in this family or in this person's life? Then we see what God does. The enemy is disheartened. So in our passage in Nehemiah, we're going to pick it up in verse number seven, preaching to understand what God has said. Don't miss that. We have the reading of the word. They stood for hours and they just read through the passages. I guess they read, you know, Genesis through Deuteronomy. I really don't know. As they read that law, they heard it. But then in verse number seven, we have a list of people, and you know how I like to read names in public. So they say these people helped them to understand the law while the people remained in their places. So Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin. By the way, that's a cool name right there, Jamin. Don't miss that. Why is Jamin always wearing headphones? <laughs> Keep your day job, Pastor Mark. Whatever, I hear you guys. All right, so... so They helped the people to understand the law. What does that mean? So the law's been read. We've been standing for hours. And then you got a group of people. I don't know if it's small groups gathered around tables. I don't know if it was like individual preachers that went throughout the crowd. But this group of people helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So what does it mean here at Grace Community when we try to make a big deal of where we're driven? We have God's word, but now we we work hard at what does this mean? What is God saying? How do I apply this? How do I understand it and interpret it? They made the understanding available to all, and it says clearly. So why do we teach the scriptures the way we do as a church? Here in twenty. 22, in 2 Timothy, we have the passage, all scripture is given by God, breathed out by God. And that scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Don't miss that. He's not saying all scripture is given just so we can say we read it and hear the words. It does something. This engages with our heart, with our life. It trains us. It teaches us. It reproves, it corrects us. We're going this way, and the Bible says, hey, hey, hold on, this is God's truth. The Bible engages with us. God, through his revelation, through the word, uh, teaches us. It says that the man of God may be complete. And by the way, that's the word for person, not just a male. That the people of God may be complete, equipped for every good what? work. So God equips us to do what he wants us to do. He doesn't say, man, I wish you guys would do more so I could be pleased. He says, I want to equip you with my word that's going to help you in your life, like every day of your life, like seven days a week. I can gain from God's word. It can help me with my parenting, with my finances, with my job, with my attitude, with my grumpiness, with my, with my drive. God's word teaches us. It helps me. It teaches, corrects, reproves. 
so that we're complete for his good works. 1 Corinthians 1.18. By the way, there's notes online. I always say that, but don't forget, all this is there. 1 Corinthians 1.23. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jew and folly to the Gentiles. What does that mean? In verse 18 of 1 Corinthians, he said, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. God works through his word. He tells us about him, what he's done for us. And it draws us to himself. It draws us to the cross. You guys remember the road to Emmaus when Jesus said in Luke 24, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's the word, that's what Ezra's been reading now for for hours. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I love that verse. So here we are, the, you know, after the resurrection, and Jesus is walking with the two guys. They don't know who he is. And, hey, have you heard? This guy, he came and he died. It's miserable. We don't know what's going on. And Jesus opens as he's, as he's walking. He's doing exactly what those guys did in verse 7 and 8. He's opening the law. He's explaining clearly, but he specifically is drawing it to himself. I can't wait to see what that plays out when we get to heaven and we get here. So Jesus, how did you say that? What did you say about yourself as you walked through the Old Testament? Responding to the preaching of God's word. We see now a response from the people. In verse number 9, so we hear to understand, but then there's a response. We don't just hear to say, like reading, I just read the words. Sometimes, you know, I know many of you make efforts, and that's awesome. We make efforts to read the Bible and to, to like make a practice of it. And we've all experienced those days where I just read a bunch of stuff, and I'm not really sure what, the, what it was saying, right? I've done the same thing. I don't know what he's mean or what I'm supposed to do with that. So we've all experienced that. So we have people help us, commentaries, teachers, preachers, uh, people that encourage us. We study to understand it. So as we said in the first couple verses, we get to know the meaning. What has God said? But then that, promote, that, that prompts a response in verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had, had wept as they had heard the words of the law. Again, this just, you know, I just want to go forever on these passages. It's powerful. They're hearing the word of the Lord being read for hours. The Bible says they wept. They were, they were mourning something. Was it just an emotion that overcame them because it's so good to hear God's voice through his word? Was it conviction of sin because the law had told them what to do and they've kind of wandered and they were thinking back, man, for 70 years we've been in exile because our fathers disobeyed. Oh, I don't want that for my, for my children. We don't really know. What we know is they were mourning and now Ezra and Nehemiah and the Levites told them, guys, let's go. Let's move forward. Let's trust him. Don't mourn and weep right now. That doesn't mean we don't have conviction. It just means God is doing something powerful. Don't don't ignore that. Don't skip that. He said, go your way. Eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, say it with me, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Did they have reason to be grieved? Apparently. We don't exactly know what it was, but there was reason for them to say, man, I'm just overwhelmed. And the guy said, look, you've heard God's word. You've heard it explained. Now it's time. 
to tap into the joy that comes from knowing God because he has spoken, he has revealed himself, he's directed us, he's taught us. How do you respond? How do I respond to God's word? Whether it's in my reading or in a moment like this when I'm hearing it explained or taught, how do we tend to respond to God's word? Ignore it, put it aside, don't let it get too close. Sometimes maybe we're overcome with emotion. Sometimes perhaps we're just feeling fired up. Yeah, I want to I wanna engage with this. How do we respond? God allowed them to experience perhaps conviction of sin, something that, was, that was strug- they were struggling with. Yet greater still was that he was active in doing a good work. Trust and look to the Lord for the joy that comes from him. So there's a principle here. What people are attached to and give value to affects their emotions. As they were standing and listening to the word and heard it explained, their emotions responded somehow because of their commitment, because of their love for this, because of their hunger for this. Verse 12, and all the people went their way to eat, drink, and to send portions to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. I love that last statement. They got it. They got it. We've all sat in church services like this or gone to Bible studies or listened to someone and we, like, we hear it, but we're just not quite getting it. They, they left and they did what they was, was, was asked because they got it. They understood. Oh, that's what you're saying, Lord. That's what you're asking of me. That's how I can be a part of this. When you read God's word, you get to remember God's work. Remembering God's work. A big part of our worship experience as followers of Christ in 2022 isn't just to look ahead and say, I hope and I can't wait and I'm, look, I'm anticipating. It's to look back and say, God has been faithful. Every single one of you probably could testify to God's goodness and faithfulness in your life, whether in the last week, the last year, 10 years ago. God's been good. He's answered prayer. He's delivered. He's helped me. I know he's been faithful. So when we engage with God's word, we hear it, we understand it, we can remember God's activity. Verse 13, on the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. So they're stepping in, I want more. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. Kind of sounds random all of a sudden. As they're digging into stuff that they're listening to, it's like, oh, wait a second. He told us this is the seventh month. We're supposed to get in booths to remember something and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills, bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and the square at the gate of Ephraim. What's going on here? Because they're hearing God's word, they're being reminded and they're responding to it. This is the time when Moses taught us to remember the leaving of Egypt and the exodus to Israel. That 40 years when we lived in tents or booths or tabernacles. We dwelled in these little places. I meant to bring a little tent. I forgot about that. You know, your camping tent that you have when you're traveling. So 
we were supposed to set these up this time to remember that God was with us back then. Isn't that wild? Like they just kind of discovered it because they're hearing God's word. They came back to Ezra, hey, we want some more. And it's like, hey, wait a second, what does it say in these verses? Grab the booths on the seventh month and set them up and remember. Everybody go get your booths. Go. You guys keep hearing the word booze, don't you? Booths. Don't get your booze. Different party. Get your, get your palm branches. Get the leafy branches. We're going to set it up. I think I've shared with you, when we were in Israel once, they were getting ready to do that. There, we saw people setting up these makeshift uh, little booths uh, where they would remember this. When you remember, you realize God's been there. He's been faithful. In remembering God's word and works, they found the meaning of the Feast of Tabernacles. And so they did it with clarity. And they did it, and it led to rejoicing. God has been good. He is faithful. He's always been with us. What do you do to remember what God has said? I, as I read the scriptures, I occasionally will make a note. Perhaps one thought will stand out from that day. I'll try to remember that. Maybe throughout the day I'll remember. So what was that I read this morning? What was that thought that I knew would encourage me today? We can help each other with that. You can make notes. Several ways you can remember what God has said in the course of a day. Um, Grace Church, I said, is committed to the word of God and the works of God. But as we see in verse 17, Grace Church is committed to celebrating God's faithfulness. When I look back and I think for the Jewish person to look back and think, man, God was faithful back then. The reason we look back is to realize he's going to be faithful today and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday. He hasn't left the building. He's still with me. He's still doing his works. So we look back and remember what this led to was a celebration. Look at verse 17. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made the booths and lived in the booths for from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to the day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was great rejoicing. Like, this is awesome. We're doing this thing we used to do. Our great-grandparents did this all the time. We forgot. And now we're doing it. like it was a celebration. We're remembering. We're camping out together. Some of you like to camp and camp in groups. It'd be like that. We're all hanging out in our tents, and I'm sure they had like a common bonfire, and someone's grilling meat for everybody or whatever. It's like this is exciting because we're celebrating what God has done. And what that's going to do is fuel us for what God's about to do. The Bible drives our remembrances. The Bible drives our celebrations. God is active. Some of you have wondered since 2020 and 2021, where's God? Why is life so hard? Why is the government making me do this? Why don't I like this and I don't like that? Where's God? And some of us have wondered. God's been faithful all along, hadn't he? He's been good all along. There's purpose in everything he does. The Bible drives our remembrances. Remember Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate, think about it, dwell on it, day and night, so that you may be careful to do, in other words, to be active, according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God's word has been given to us to change us, to tell us about God, to drive us, to think about what is the Lord asking of me? 
some lessons from Nehemiah for us. Be, mind, be reminded of what God has said. God has spoken. I realize we don't stand when we read the Bible at length. We could. Some churches actually do stand for the reading of a text. That's a cool discipline. Maybe we'll do some of that. I realize we don't, we don't have to go somewhere to find God's word and to have someone explain it to us and, and to finally hear the words. We have it in your lap. You have it on your phone. You have copies in your house. Be, be reminded of what God's been doing. He's not just the God of tomorrow. He's been a faithful God of yesterday. He's done amazing things. Some of you have great stories to look back with your kids. The early days, remember? God's been faithful, hadn't he? So whether you set up a tent to remember that, or just you discuss it over lunch, or in your time of prayer, you think, Lord, you've been so good to me. You've been so kind. I remember what you've done. Be intentional about remembering God's words for you. As you read, as you hear God's word, as you make an effort to memorize or to read a passage, be intentional about, Lord, help me to, help me to hold on to this today. Help me not to let it go and say, well, I'll read another chapter tomorrow. You know, help me to find something here, God. Speak to me. Show me something that I can hold on to. And then let's always be about celebrating the faithfulness of God. You know what our world needs today more than ever? It needs believers to celebrate what we believe. They need us to be optimistic and full of joy. Not, not delusional about hardness of life, but what God's doing in the big picture. So that when we go through the hardness, as we experience and come alongside brothers and sisters that are hurting, we have a joy that's deep. Not superficial, not temporary. Uh, been over a year, man. 15 months, I counted. 15 months since we had our all-in talk. And we had our church family in the midst of the COVID uh, mandates with a small attendance time. And you, as a church, stood up and said, we want to pledge to help build this building we believe God has for us. I said it last week. I'll say it again. I don't want to beat it too strong. The church is about the people, always has been, always will be. Amen? But he uses, he uses things like buildings, like tables and microphones. He uses things so that we can do what God's called us to do. He's given us now a property, a building that's well on its way. He's given that to us as a tool so that we as a church can continue to do what we do, read God's word, explain God's word, draw people to know Christ. We celebrate who he is. We celebrate his faithfulness. He's given us a tool we can use to do that. When we talked about this back then, I pulled up my notes and I just, I remember this, the stones of remembrance. Remember that? That was part of my talk that day is we saw Israel when, when God did a great work, and then he would say, hey, take a few guys, take those stones, go put them in the middle of the river, and I want you to always remember that. Those stones were there so that a generation later, you can tell your grandkids, why are those stones there, they would ask. you say, well, let me tell you about what God did. And then they're called stones of remembrance. And we talked about that. I think there's some physical things that we can do that say, yeah, look what God has done. Look at this thing that God has done. When we make an offering, when we say a pledge, we say, God, I want to be a part of that. We're saying, Lord, I value what you are doing. I trust you. No one's saying, well, finally, God's going to do a work because we have a building. No, God's been faithful. I've got 27 years of memories in this head of mine. Lots of emotion. Lots of joys. A few bumps. <laughs> a few struggles. God's been faithful. He's been good. 
I have no idea how much longer this thing goes. I'm in it for a while. But I just know that what God's doing, what he's been doing, is preparing us, I think, for continued grace of the gospel to change lives, to help you, to be a blessing to you and your family, to help you with your everyday stuff, and to help the people that don't even yet know how much God cares for them. That's why we do what we do. Hospitable with the gospel. Come on in, everybody. We are a church of people. We're a family. When I think of family, I think of that last phrase. We say serving the Lord, and that small word down there, together. I always picture that as this, right? I've said that before. Just shoulder to shoulder. Get over here. Come on. Let's do this together. We're a big team, and we sway, whatever. (laughs) We're a family. We get to be a part of what God's doing in something bigger than what he does just through one person. I can't do this by myself. You can't do it by yourself. But together, we get to be a part of what God has for us in a, in a big way. So praise God for the, for the 27 years in this building. Thank God for what he's been doing and, and, the, and the remainder of our time here while we wait for it to finish. And absolutely, there's going to be some challenges and struggles and some exciting things about newness. But please know what we're about is saying, God, I'm willing to take a risk. I'm willing to put my money. I'm willing to say yes to what you're doing because I trust you. I trust what you're doing. So, um, these stones of remembrance for Joshua, what I love about that teaching, and we're not going through it all right now, of course, but in Joshua 4.24, these stones of remembrance for Joshua ultimately were so that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is what? That you may fear the Lord your God forever. So, it's always been, always will be about him. Not just how I'm doing, how you're doing, what's going on in my life, am I happy, am I struggling? That all matters. God loves us. It's ultimately about the name of the Lord being known. When I think of people, some of you I'm seeing your eyeballs. There's people in this room. You came to Christ here. This has been your heritage. This has been your introduction, your home. How can we not dream about how many more people can know Christ? So the works of God are so that the name of the Lord would be known. I, for one, want to be a part of that. I've committed myself to it. Many of you, most of you have as well. A few weeks ago when we discussed the idea of an all-in refresh Please understand it wasn't to be abusive. It's not to scare off the newbie that says, why is that church always talking about money and buildings? We don't always talk about money and buildings. We're at a time, we're at a season without apology where we get to say, hey, it's time, let's do our best. All while we're teaching God's word and loving each other and helping each other. But what we also talked about was it's healthy to say, hey guys, how are we doing? Kind of huddle up, put your heads down. Hey, how are we doing? Who needs encouragement? Someone in this room needs to be encouraged. Someone in this room needs to say, I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. As I've said many times, this all-in thing, building a building, having a church home, isn't because of one or two really good people, really wealthy people, really gifted people. It is the family. We're all in it together. Every single person matters. I want you to hear that from me. If I could take the minute and do the eyeball thing with every single one of you, you know, every one of you matters. Whether you're newer to the church, whether you're a grade school child, 
you're in high school or middle school and you're like, yeah, my thing is, no, your thing is here. You, you matter. Our college students, you matter. You're part of this family. Single, married, young, not as young, all of us. Every single one of you matter to the Lord. We're a family. So everything we do, we put together. And as we put our arms around each other's shoulders, say, man, we're in this together. Every once in a while, someone needs a nudge or an encouragement. What we don't do is go around the circle and say, hey, how much are you in for? Oh, you're a small little person. You really don't matter. No, no one says that here. We're all, it's all significant. It matters deeply. And I think, honestly, that's why this has been working. I think it works because everybody's in. We're all in, we're all in it together. 